Hello and welcome to the Traveling Tube Radio Show. I'm Friedel. And I'm Andrew. Can you hear the absolutely pouring monsoon rains all around us? You'd be happy to know that we're high and dry, literally. Yeah, we're in the top floor of our friend's uh, apartment complex. Wow. And uh, That's because there's just like a big flash of lightning that went off. <laughs> That's why Andrew said, wow, ooh, thunder, thunder. <laughs> Not too far away. And uh, yeah, no, we're nice and dry up here. Thank goodness for that. I'm really glad we're not in our tent tonight. Well, we've got a great show lined up for you, a little bit about Southeast Asia, where we are now. And also, we're going to talk to you some more about our experiences in Central Asia, because we really haven't touched on the half of what we experienced there over the last few months. Yeah, it's been a, it was a good experience going to uh, Central Asia, so we just love to tell you all about it. Some interviews to share with you, and also... You may be interested to know that when you go, it could be very handy to know how to say, I am a carrot in Russian. Yeah, I'm a carrot. We shall reveal all later. Wow, that was quite the rainy evening in Bangkok. That was a few weeks ago, and now we've actually made it to Cambodia, and we're sitting on a beach. It's a little bit of a windy day, a little bit overcast, so that's probably why you're hearing some wind in the microphone. Sorry about that. We've tried our best to turn our backs to the wind and block as much of it out as possible, but there's not a whole lot we can do. Well, I suppose we could record this in our hotel room, but that's not nearly as nice as sitting on a white sand beach, so... (laughs) With all that rain that you heard in the introduction, we were a little bit worried that we might not actually make it very far at all in Southeast Asia, being the rainy season here, and we thought if we're going to face this all the time, you know, we won't get anywhere, but actually it only really rains in the afternoon, so we've managed to cover a fair bit of distance in the last few weeks. Yeah, I mean, in the last month in Thailand and Cambodia, we've done probably about 1,500 kilometers. And um, by the time we go up through Laos, we'll probably do another 15. And um, once we get over Laos and back into Thailand, we'll, uh, we'll probably do at least another 2,000 to get down to Malaysia. It makes me tired just thinking about it. <laughs> when you're on the road each day, it doesn't seem like a lot. And then you add it all up and you go, oh, my goodness, I cycled that far? Anyway... We're not going to talk about Southeast Asia in this show. We're actually going to take you back to Central Asia because we've got a lot to tell about that region. And we already did one show on it, but we've still got more to talk about. And we want to tell you before we forget it all. Yeah, so let's let's start with some of the highlights. Uh, One of the main highlights is definitely Kyrgyzstan. We just really did enjoy that that country. Uh, The entire area is very high mountains. Um, I mean, you can go to alpine lakes that are at 3,000 meters. The lake is at 3,000 meters, and you have to climb to get over top of that. We we really enjoyed that. I mean, we saw, yeah, we saw some uh, nomad families up there, and uh, not too many. It was early in the season. We were up there in June, and uh, there wasn't too many people up there, so we were almost by ourselves up there. We were wor- really worried that it was going to be uh, a little over-touristy up there. Yeah, we were really worried about the tourism aspect because Lake Songkol is really, as Andrew said, in every guidebook, on every map, brochure. It's just all over the place, and everyone knows about it. So we thought, okay, are we going to get up there? It's going to be a total tourist trap. But actually... We got up there, and we should have probably remembered this is Central Asia, and there aren't a lot of tourists anyway. Because we were at the beginning of the season, there was really hardly anyone up there. We didn't see any other tourists, just the few nomad families. So we could put our tent up on the side of the lake, and we relaxed by the water and read our book and watched the nomads working with their sheep and their horses. And, you know, it was fantastic. Like, if you're the kind of person who really needs a lot of organized entertainment and bars and restaurants, then it's definitely not your thing. But if you just want to get out there and relax in nature and maybe take some photographs and meditate a little bit or something like that, then it's super. 
Yeah, I mean, we did we did have to climb to about 3,600, I think, uh, to get up to this lake. But uh, yeah, there was even there was even snow at the top of the pass, and it probably had just opened a couple of days before. So it is really quite uh, only a, a very high summer season uh, place to go. Yeah, and when we were up there in June, we actually got caught out. The storms tend to roll in sometimes in the afternoon, and it surprised us how quickly they rolled in and how cold they could be. Uh, you know, because you kind of think June, okay, it's going to be reasonably warm, but actually, you know, at 3,000 meters, it can be pretty chilly at night. So if you do go up, you want to take lots of food and and supplies with you so you can stay up there a while, and also just make sure you take some warm clothing and a good sleeping bag, because if you go up there with just a light sleeping bag or, goodness forbid, no tent at all or something like that, you're going to be uh, pretty cold. So go prepared, but beautiful, beautiful spot. Yeah, we really enjoyed that place. Um, also, uh, there is Lake Issacol, which is the larger lake that you'll see. Uh, most most people go all the way around it, uh, go from Bishkek all the way around the lake and come back. There's lots of homestays there, little guest houses um, all along that lake. Uh, it's getting quite touristy, I think. More on the north side's very touristy. We didn't go there, but that's what we heard from other people. The south side, it's less so, but you can see there's developments coming along and yeah. it'll change. Some of the homestays are are a little pricey, I guess, um, but they're really they just. They ha I think they have a set pattern of, of things to offer you, uh, you know, if you want to go horseback riding, if you want to, you know, go trek in the mountains, or, or just stay there and eat, basically, and that's what we did. We should define that by pricey, you know, by North American or European standards. It's still pretty cheap, but a little bit more than, say, a budget hotel in a city might run you. But on the other hand, you know, you get some fantastic food. The breakfasts are to die for, and we particularly enjoyed the welcome tea. They seemed to roll out every time we stayed. Yeah, every st every time we stayed in a homestay, we uh, you know dropped our bags in the room, and then they said, "Okay, come come have tea," and then they'd roll out bread and jam, four different types of jam usually, and uh, it, you just devour it completely. They probably thought, "What's going on here? These people are hungry." Yeah, two hungry cyclists and big pots of homemade jam. It's just, you know, it's got to be done. You have to clean the pot. So we did. <laughs> we finished right down to the very last drop, every bowl of jam they brought out. And it was so good. It was all homemade. Fantastic. I will remember that jam for a very long time, I think. The other thing we really liked in Kyrgyzstan was the capital, Bishkek. You know, it's, it's kind of a fun place. There's lots of cafes. There's lots of bars. The only thing I would say about Bishkek is it is like a lot of these ex-Soviet cities, it's kind of crumbling a little bit around the edges. So don't drink too much because when you're going home at night, the potholes and the cracks in the sidewalk will swallow you up. But uh, yeah, you know, Bishkek's worth a few days. And if you're going to apply for visas, you'd probably be stuck there for at least a few days, if not a few weeks. Yeah, I mean, there's some. I think there's some people there that are permanently stationed there. If we're looking at other highlights in Central Asia, I know a lot of people out there who've been to the region are probably screaming, Tajikistan and the Panmure Highway. And Everyone we talked to had universally good things to say about Tajikistan. A lot of people said it was the most amazing cycling they'd ever done. So it's supposed to be great, but we didn't go. So we'll have to move on to the highlights that we know about, and that would probably include Uzbekistan. It's more developed as a country, and there are certainly tour groups around that you'll see. And I wouldn't say that we love the whole country, but we really would say that you can't miss the Silk Road cities of Bukhara and Samarkand kind of an interesting contrast between those two. Yeah, I mean, Bukhara has a really nice atmosphere downtown. You can walk around. There's quite a few little um, cafes, and you can actually taste some wine there. And 
We just had a nice time there. Yeah, they've restored the old city really beautifully, and you can just kind of wander in and out of boutiques and markets and art galleries, and it's a great place to lose a couple days in. Samarkand, on the other hand, it has all the big monuments, and if, especially if you haven't been to Iran, you're going to be amazed by the monuments they have there. They have all the tiled mosques and mausoleums, which we had already seen quite a lot of in Iran, but they're still impressive in Samarkand. On the other hand, the city didn't really have a lot of vibe to it. No, I mean, we went out at like, I think it was 7 o'clock or 8 o'clock, and we couldn't find a place to eat, really. Yeah, there's one restaurant that's mentioned in the guidebooks, and that place is hopping. And we'd, but we'd eaten there for lunch, so we sort of thought, okay, we want to try somewhere different. And we tried to go out and find street stalls or something, anything, and we just couldn't find a thing. So Everything seemed to be closed. It, was just, it just didn't have a good feeling. I don't know. Yeah, a bit strange for what is arguably the biggest tourist attraction in Uzbekistan. But anyway, Samarkand's worth it certainly to go see the monuments, but you're probably not going to want to hang around in the same way you might do in Bukhara. Now, if we move on to kind of Central Asia as a whole, we'd be lying if we said that we loved absolutely everything. There were some parts that drove us crazy. Yeah, I mean, some of the traffic uh, in definitely in Kazakhstan is just is is quite uh, quite unnerving. There's a lot of SUVs there, more than we've seen anywhere else, just because of the riches that have come to the country from oil and natural gas. All shiny black ones, Lexus, BMW, all the big names, expensive vehicles really. On the other hand, people there don't really have a long history of driving and they don't treat cyclists with a whole lot of respect. Yeah, we used our mirrors a lot, just getting out of the way of them as much as possible. Yeah, it, I would say definitely in Central Asia you want a mirror and if you see a big black SUV coming up behind you, you just want to get onto the shoulder or just make sure they're moving over or something because what we were told later on, and it makes a lot of sense, is that in Kazakhstan and other parts of Central Asia as well, although we felt it most in Kazakhstan, is that if you have a big car, then you're wealthy and powerful and therefore valuable in the social ranking of things. And if you have a bicycle, you're just pretty poor and basically worthless. So it's just good to know where you stand on the food chain when you go to Central Asia and you're riding on the roads. And the other thing is a bit scary there is also that um, they consider that Drinking and driving is part of their social culture. Yeah, a couple of people told us that, and we found that a little bit shocking. It's like going back, I don't know, 50 years in North America or something. I wouldn't let it put you off a trip to the region entirely, but I do think you need to be a little more vigilant on the roads. I mean, hopefully, a lot of the time you're on very tiny roads where there's not a lot of traffic anyway, so it really only applies when you're on the main roads. In the big cities, and yeah. Yeah, but just something that's good to know about. And then there's the bureaucracy. That was another fun point. <laughs> <laughs> I think we spent, what, at least three weeks getting visas from different embassies at, during a time? Oh, a minimum. A minimum. I think if you're coming to Central Asia, um, from our point of view, the best thing is really to try and do it at home if you can. Because, you know, when you're on holiday, who really wants to be running around to embassies? And if you're going to do that, you probably need to start three or four months ahead of time. If you're going to do it on the road... The bonus of that is that you can maybe arrange your visit a little bit better because if you do it from home, you have to specify all the dates on these visas. So sometimes it's hard six months ahead of time to know exactly which day you're going to want to enter Uzbekistan or Kyrgyzstan. So if you do it while you're on the road, maybe you have a bit more flexibility, but you're probably going to need to block off at least two weeks of just waiting around in capital cities for visas to be sorted out, and maybe even longer. You know, it just depends. and. 
things happen, strange things happen in Central Asia, and you're thinking, why is this happening? It should be straightforward, and then something crazy comes up. They, I don't know, they lose your paperwork and you have to start over, or the consul doesn't show up because he's going to a party the night before and doesn't feel like working. You know, it's just weird stuff. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you go and you think, oh yeah, I'm going to get this visa in three days, no problem, and it just doesn't work like that, you know? So if you have a rush schedule, don't try and do it on the road because you just need to have the flexibility to be able to sit in a capital city for a week or two weeks and, and sort things out. Yeah, the other part of bureaucracy is the police. Sometimes you get asked for your uh, papers all the time. Um, we got asked a few times at uh, police checkpoints uh, for our papers, and by the time we stopped and pulled out the papers, they didn't want to see them. They just wanted to chat and look at the map, and it was just got ridiculous after, you know, 10 minutes of just not doing anything, really, and sitting, come on, it's, you know, it's getting dark, let's, let's go, let's go. Yeah, they're basically curious, and they use their uniforms as a way to get you to stop, so they can then uh, ask you where you're from, and how much your bike costs, and that kind of thing. And so after a while, we just started speeding through these police checkpoints, especially in Uzbekistan, and no one seemed to blink an eye at that. At first, I really expected police cars chasing after us, and you know, us ending up in jail or trying to explain to the nice officer why we didn't stop when he waved the baton at us. But no, never, never. They they would blow their whistle and look a bit angry for about 10 seconds, and then that was it, and we were on <laughs> our way. And <laughs> then, they get, then they go back to sleep, I think. Yeah. <laughs> we did actually see that. Yes, I think we did. Our last time coming back into Kazakhstan through the border, we were wondering why it was taking so long to stamp all our papers. And then we got to the last desk, and there was a guy actually asleep on the desk, head down. Yeah. Thought, yeah, that's why it's taken so long. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so with the police wanting you to stop, we kind of thought that it might be good, you know, to have a really good answer for them or just something that would distract them from all this silliness. And that brings us to the phrase that we hinted at in our introduction, I am a carrot. Yeah. So you might be wondering why you need to know that phrase in Russian. Well, we thought it might come in kind of handy with these police checks, you know, if ever anyone's giving you any sort of trouble, you could just say, I am a carrot. <laughs> you might be thinking, I don't quite follow you here, so I'll explain. The I am a carrot phrase comes from a guy called Hirsch. He's an American. He's also doing a trip by bicycle, and he uses it. And I'm going to read a little bit from his blog, which we follow off and on. It starts at the ferry port in Baku, Azerbaijan, and he's been to this ferry port like a million times to ask the lady ticket seller there if the boat is leaving for Kazakhstan. And if you've done any research on this boat, you'll know that it's fairly intermittent, and sometimes you wait two hours, and sometimes you wait two weeks for this boat. You just don't know. So, this is from his blog. Down to the port again, and this time the lady, she's even smiling, says, Today! And I jump and click my heels, and finally she sells me a ticket and tries to extort money from me, but I know what she's doing, and she knows I know, and I'm no fool, and I turned on the charm, and she turned down the bribe with my ticket in hand, and she told me to come back that night, or possibly the next morning, but as it turned out, when I got back to the place where I was staying, I asked it, those kind souls to call the port for me, just one more time, boys, sorry, and confirm either tonight or tomorrow, but the answer was that the boat was leaving now, and Jiminy Crickets, if I didn't toss everything hither and thither and hopped on me old bike and toured to France down to the port, and what chaos it was, and when that lady saw my bike that she hadn't seen up to this point, she longed to have charged me more for it. But I rode right past her and gave her a big wave and a smile, and then Customs also tried to charge me illegally for the bike. But I just kept saying, Yamarkovka, which translates to, I am a carrot. And they got so frustrated that they just waved me on 
great, isn't it? It's just brilliant. <laughs> Sometimes with these officials, you just have to play the fool. Yeah, I mean, what are they going to say to it? I, I think it's great, and I can easily see a number of situations in Central Asia where this would have come in handy. So that was from Hirsch's blog, and if you want to read his blog, the address is makesomedaytoday.blogspot.com, and I'll put a link to that in the post that goes along with this podcast. Well, that, I think that's enough from us. Uh, we're going to give you an interview that we did with Greg, a Hungarian that we met in uh, Bishkek. Well, we actually met him a few days before. We cycled with him a bit, and then we caught up with him in Bishkek. He's cycling the, the Silk Road from China back home, basically, China West. Basically, his first bicycle trip, I think. He saved his money when he was working in the UK, but he's also done some other trips. So he's been to India. He's uh, walked the, the Santiago Trail in Spain. So here's Greg uh, talking about why he chose Silk Road. For me, is is the Silk Road is is a kind of pilgrimage. I like to do pilgrimage. The Silk Road is the connection, like an arterial way between Asia and Europe. It's a uh, it's easy to do that. Not really easy, but it's it it's easy because you 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 don't you can manage easily by overland. And uh, Asia is 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 it's uh, it's particular Asia is cheap cheaper than Europe so you can you can spend easily three four five months without any problem with your budget I think can I ask how much money you had when you left Britain what was your budget yeah it was like um, approximately two thousand pound it's not a lot and then from that you had to buy flight tickets as well or this is my budget so I already bought flight ticket and uh, and my bike and and the stuff and the two thousand pound for spend for three, four months to, to back to Europe, which is I think is enough. I still have a lot. <laughs> <laughs> enough to get back to Hungary, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it it will be enough. I I'm not I not worry about that. You know, I can manage. So Easily. give us some of the highlights of your trip so far. What are the some of the things that stand out for you? So we're in Kyrgyzstan now. Yeah, and and you've seen China, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan. So what have been the some of the nicest things, or maybe some of the more difficult things, if you? Okay, at first China. The people they are they are nice, but for me the language is impossible, so I can't uh, I can't communicate with the with, with the people. Really, it's, it's 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 very difficult for me. But the food is nice. It's, it's really nice, and you can find food everywhere. Really, they 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 cooking everywhere, which is which is which is which is make my life easy. I've been so many places in Beijing, like you know Tiananmen Square and that like the Great Wall and that kind of. Uh, tourist signs but uh, I don't really prefer that one for me it's a lot more important to be on trail which is which is without really which, which is not really touristical so you seek out the sort of wild places yeah the wild places yeah yeah like uh, like deserts and, and mountains and something but uh, I realize it's not easy it's, it's particularly very 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 difficult to do you have to take lots of water with you. You know, some some small things, which is in the civilization you you, you never think about. For example, you need water or something. Who cares? Because it's the it's the water came from the tap. The electricity came from the plug or something. But in you know in the in the in the desert is is not like that. You really have to fight for your survive. And how did survival. you do it? Did you just put lots of bottles on the back of the bike and? No, on the first time, no. I on the first time I had only half a liter of water or something, and I realized it's not gonna be enough, you know. So you have to think about really. Then day by day I got a lot more experience. For example, on the first day I bought that kind of uh, stove, which is really it was really expensive, but I but I haven't got any much or lighter with me. 
you know, and <laughs> and no food at all. And I had this cheap tent from somewhere and the small sleeping bag it was called and something. So, but uh, anyway, I I I've got the experience, and uh, on day by day, I, I I bought so many things to to get that things for myself. China is okay, I think it's okay, but uh, but because because there is huge distance for the cyclists, you know, it's uh, you have to prepare for the water, for the food. If you if you uh, particularly when you in um, in West China and Gansu in Xinjiang province, because the distance they are so far is not as um, crowded as in um, in South uh, East China. So you know the the, the population is 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 a lot more less over there so sometimes you, you're just cycling like 100 kilometer without without see anything any village or or just just the people did yeah. you ever have any problems with the police or did they no. check you very often no this is it's really surprised me you know the everyone everybody think the chinese they are so communist or you know something like that but uh, you can't see for example any any really any sign of red star or or, or something like that even the police they are they are don't really care about you as foreigner. Yeah, the local people they are they are curious, but not as curious, for example, as in South Asia. And because the language difficulty, you know, pr probably that by the police they doesn't stop you or they really don't care. I haven't got any st stop by police in in China really. And then when I got the border of uh, Kazakhstan, I was a pretty expert. <laughs> <laughs> Not really, but after one thousand something hundred kilometers, it's, it's you know you you just uh, you just you just, you just get experience. And uh, fortunately, on the border, I met uh, two two guys uh, from France. They were a couple, and uh, we just decided uh, we, we were cycling together for a for a short short period. And it was a different kind of experience for me to be cycling with some with some people and uh, you not your your own and. Uh, did you enjoy that, or? Yes, I really, I really. But um, it, it's you know, it's it's a different kind of, kind of things, really different. And uh, you have to, you have to compromise, and uh, it's it's difficult. <laughs> it's really difficult to do, but uh, but really nice. So you crossed China into Kazakhstan. We went to Almaty to get the visas too. The famous Central Asian. Famous visa Central Asian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you know, in Amati, it was it was quite easy to get the visas. Even to Kyrgyzstan, even to Uzbekistan. Fortunately, really, it 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 was easy. We spent a week in Amati and two visas done, which is incredible, <laughs> especially in Central Asia. And then we went back on almost on the same road to them to to get them the Kyrgyz border. The road was uh, was quite good, a bit difficult, but not really. The road condition on the on the uh, on the last 10 kilometers was terrible. And in Kyrgyz Kyrgyzstan, in the first 80 kilometers was terrible. Really, the road condition was terrible. Really, Sovietic. All <laughs> dirt roads. Yeah, like 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 really, really, really hard and hard hard to do. But anyway. And what were your impressions of Kazakhstan in general? Nice country, or yeah, um, and the the countries, the countryside people in in Kazakhstan they are so nice. They it just surprised me really. They after maybe five kilometers after after the the Chinese border, it was 
wow, probably I'm in Europe now or something. Probably because the because the part of the former Soviet Union and uh, the people there they are so kind. They always asking me question where where at Kuda it's been where are you from or something. And uh, when I realized I'm Hungarian because I I know in Russian Hung what, what does it mean Hungarian. I always answer for them and uh, and they they were they were so happy. <laughs> that answer for some kind of how I don't know why really. <laughs> It's nice when people are happy just for you being you. Yeah, yeah exactly. And uh, they always smile, smiling. And uh, I've got some invitation like they 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 give it give it for us like a, a free bread or just a cup of coffee or you know it's just it's just nice things. It it doesn't it doesn't cost a lot, but it's just nice to get that things. But in Almaty, the people there, you know, it's 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 not it's not the same. It's a, it's a really big city, and it's so European, and the people they are they're flan- friendly, but not as friendly as in the countryside. If you're not really dressed well and you're going to the post office or to the shop, I don't say you are stinking or or something, but you know after cycling is <laughs> you sometimes not not really not really uh, uh, clean or or something. They they just you know they've been surprised. <laughs> I think <laughs> it's just the uh, same as. Anywhere in Europe, if if you are you know if you're a, a bit dirty or or something, and you're going to the shop, you know it's not it's not really nice. So take a shower. <laughs> <laughs> go to the banya before you go uh, shopping. Right? Yeah, no, no, no. Just uh, it, it just happened when I when I get to Amati, you know, after a couple of hundred kilometers uh, cycling, and bef- before that, well, I was a bi- I was a bit sweating and go <laughs> 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 the show and, and it was quite quite hard experience but you know, it's, uh, it shouldn't be a problem as, as soon as you get the hotel and take a shower <laughs> really and what about Kyrgyzstan so you came in the east side down from Kazakhstan and around the huge lake Itikol are you yes. going into your bag for a map now or <laughs> yes I, I did that uh, thanks okay so, so we've got the map out yeah I've got the map because you know it's uh, so many town and something so from Almaty, we just followed the main road, which is called A352. Then by Kokpek, which is a kind of touristical village. The village is, is it's only three or four houses, all of them restaurant and shop. So we turned to south and got the, the Kyrgyz border by Kagan. And then we were heading to the to the Isikul and uh, and we were cycling uh, on the south side of the, of the lake. Did you enjoy that? That was one of my favorite parts, I think, of Kyrgyzstan. Yeah, really, I really. The, the Kyrgyz people, they, they are, they are, they are also really, really kind. But uh, Kyrgyzstan is a lot more poor country than than Kazakhstan. You just, you just feel it. Even the the condition of the buildings and, um, I mean, the the cars. It's, it's, you know, it's. Uh, they are, they are, they are really, really poor people. And going along the lake, did you find plenty of places to camp, or was yeah, it very yeah, developed? Yeah, yeah, no, no, it, it wasn't really developed. Even even the main road, which is like an an arterial road or something, it was like a three meter large, and uh, it's, it 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 was actually a just just small road. So you can you can you can find easily campsite everywhere if if you want. Even in in China, even in Kazakhstan, even in Kyrgyzstan, you can find the campsite easily, really. So I think maybe you have some quite valuable advice to offer people because first of all you're doing your first cycle tour so you're discovering all these things that you thought might work and didn't or you wished you knew and also because you're in Central Asia and that can be quite difficult from a bureaucratic standpoint. 
Yeah, well, I I just I just recommend for everyone. It's um it's not really difficult to do that, but you have to prepare. You have to prepare to do that. Well, let's talk about the visas because you and I were saying earlier like you were wondering if it was possible to get them all at home. So, in hindsight, do you think that would have been a better idea or Yeah, well, if you if you like the planning things, it's 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 uh it's it's really good idea to do that. But if if you some kind of people people who who don't like to to planning things it's 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 um i think is it it it's uh it's possible to get the visa on on the road but uh you have to prepare is uh, it's going to take time it's going to take a long time and you have to just you just talk or or you just you just have to go somewhere else really and i guess maybe do some research on which which places are best to to get certain visas or yeah exactly try to get visas in Almaty Almaty is, is it's a it's a very expensive place almost as expensive as Europe really I'm not joking it's um, it's very expensive but the people in the embassies maybe they are easygoing maybe a bit less bureaucratic than for example compares um, Kyrgyzstan Bishkek we are here in Bishkek now so <laughs> Uh, and I, I'm still waiting for my Iranian visa since 15 days, which is a lot. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Uh, well, I could tell something, but um, it, it's just my experience, you know. You've got basically two options. To apply for your visa, the, your particular Iranian visa, uh, through to the consulate, or um, just uh, try to get a code num- kind of code number through to the kind of travel agencies. Now I know I've got the experience. Maybe it's better to to through to the travel agency because uh, the staff on the Iranian consulate they are really nice, really. So they are, they are really kind with you, but uh, but they but they're not gonna tell for you the straight things. Uh, you just realize after two weeks nothing happened, you know, and and you can't do really anything because because um, probably your visa is, is is running out soon, especially when you're on, on the bike. It's uh, two weeks is it's a lot. It's a lot of time to 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 to, to just stock somewhere. So now I know you've been in Bishkek for a while trying somewhat unsuccessfully to get visas so give us the ideal plan from here. Probably tomorrow I'm gonna go to Osh, two to the mountain range to get two high pass above uh, 3500 meters or something which is quite hard I think and then from Osh, which is which is a kind of um, the border town I'm gonna go to Uzbekistan. I already had my visa to Uzbekistan from from Almaty, and uh, then Tashkent in Tashkent, which is the capital of um, Uzbekistan. I try to get my visa to Azerbaijan, and if it's possible, try to get the visa <laughs> to Iran, because um, because they told me the, the stuff in in the, in the embassies, they they're gonna transfer my details to. Tashkent. And then from Tashkent, I'm gonna go to Turkmenistan. Turkmenistan. Oh, yeah, I need the visa to Turkmenistan as well. <laughs> it's a never ending <laughs> list. <laughs> <laughs> Which is uh, it's quite difficult to get, and hopefully, I will be able to get, to get it. And um, there is two options. If I get my Iranian visa, I'm gonna go from Ashgabat to Iran. If something happening and not, I'm gonna go to to take a ferry from Turkmenistan to Baku, the capital of Azerbaijan, and uh, 
from there, from Azerbaijan, I'm planning to go to Georgia, and from Georgia to Turkey, and from Turkey to Europe uh, by the Bosporus. And this is the same thing from from Iran, from from the Iranian border, just just uh, heading to north from by the Caspian, and uh, and um, just get the border of uh, Turkey. And then home. When do you get to Hungary? Yeah, I I would like to go back to Hungary until September. After that, you know, the weather in Europe is getting cold, and uh, it's not easy to to find a, a campsite or. Just I just don't want to be in the <laughs> to cycling in the cold and the, and the, and the wet, rainy weather. I would like to go back to ha to Hungary to make a nice life and do something, do something nice and interesting thing. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview with Greg. Uh, we got an email from him the other day. He was just about to cross back into uh, Turkey. We're really happy for Greg because I don't think he'll need any more visas. He must be thrilled. I think the poor guy was going crazy in Bishkek. He just had the worst run of visa luck ever. So anyway, Greg, we hope you have a really safe trip home and that we can meet you again somewhere soon. Well, next I thought we'd maybe go to a packing list for Central Asia. Now, we're not going to go through a whole packing list, but we just want to mention a few things that you should definitely bring along that maybe you wouldn't normally throw in your panniers. So, Andrew, do you want to start us off? Yeah, bring along some U.S. dollars. Um, there are exchange booths around. Euros, it's okay, but mostly in the larger cities. Uh, Euros uh, in the smaller communities probably just doesn't fly as well as, as U.S. dollars. Um, we found exchange booths everywhere, basically. There are ATMs around, and they do work, but from time to time you have to move around between one or two just because one's down, another's down, or it just doesn't take your card. Yeah, and obviously in Turkmenistan there are no ATMs, so there you definitely have to bring lots of U.S. dollars. But a stash of cash is just a good thing to have. And, you know, sometimes, like, Kazakhstan's got ATMs all over the place. If you were just doing Kazakhstan, I would say you almost don't need to bring dollars. But Kyrgyzstan, they're pretty far apart, and Uzbekistan, you only really see them in the bigger cities, so... The other thing you really need to bring is sunscreen, and a very high sunscreen. If you normally go for 30, I don't know, bump it up to 50, or... Yeah, it's because of the high altitude. When you're up at 3,000 meters, you can get really burned quite quickly, and it's just quite severe. Yeah, we got caught out one day in Songkol, just sitting there reading, having a nice day, and by the time 3 o'clock rolled around, we realized that we were just red as lobsters, and we peeled for field skin for a few days afterwards. It wasn't good, and we really should have been more careful. So bring lots of sunscreen, good hat. Um, if you can find a lightweight long shirt, that'd probably be excellent as well. And the last thing is batteries. If you have any little devices that require AA batteries or AAA batteries, head torches, whatever, bring them along because the batteries in Central Asia are just the worst batteries I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, we'd go to a market or even to a proper grocery store and, and, and buy them and they die die on us within you know a week minutes sometimes <laughs> <laughs> but this little recorder we use for our podcast it was literally minutes i went to the supermarket and i couldn't even finish recording the interview you just heard with greg we had to do it in two parts because the batteries died three minutes in and they were a good brand name and so i don't know if they were fake or they'd just been in the sun too long or what was going on but anyway bring batteries and then there's a few things that you might think like central asia isn't going to have this and that, but these are a couple things that you will find in Central Asia, so you can leave them at home. Yeah, I mean, you, you think, oh, it's the back of beyond, you're not going to find, you know, your favorite trail mix or something like that. 
But, I mean, you can find dark chocolate there. Also, nuts and fruits. If you go into the markets, the markets have a pretty good selection of produce in the bigger cities. Um, if you're out in the country, you probably won't see fruit for quite a while. But if you want uh, dried fruits to take along on your trips or peanuts, things like that, all over the place, quite cheap and excellent energy food. So you don't need to bring power bars from home. Yeah, and we did find most, most uh, towns had uh, a few uh, simple bike parts. Yeah, if you just need, um, I don't know, brake pads for your V-brakes, that kind of thing, then you're not going to have a problem finding that in Central Asia. On the other hand, if you want something really specialized, then you might need to bring it. Yeah, I mean, if you've got your disc brakes or something, then, yeah, probably the only place you'll be able to find that would be Almaty. Yeah, Almaty's got a couple good bike shops, and we've got those listed on our on our site. But otherwise, you know, if you're just worried about having a, a few of the basic parts along, don't bother putting them in your panniers. Just pick them up if you need them. And like anywhere in these um, less developed regions, the Central Asians are pretty darn good at... Uh, watching a fix for whatever you need. So I'm sure if you went into some mechanic shop and pointed at what you need it fixed, they would sort something out with a hammer. Might look scary, but it would probably work in the end. Yeah, I mean, somebody, somebody uh, re-welded my back rack. It looks fine. Yeah, actually did a very nice job on your back rack. <laughs> well, I guess that's about it for this show. I mean, there are lots of things we could say on Central Asia, but we'd be here talking until Christmas, so... Yeah, so... Uh, Hopefully next time we'll give you some more information on Southeast Asia. Yeah, and if you have any questions on Central Asia that we haven't covered, then just drop us a line through the website. No problem at all. We'd be happy to help you out. Or check out the resources section. We've put lots of information on Central Asia in that area of our website. And maybe next time we come back, we'll tell you a little bit about the seaside in Cambodia. Bye for now. Goodbye.